Hey, photographers, welcome to the Boca Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm here to help you build a sustainable photography business. That means improving your photo skills, building on your business knowledge, and honing your marketing abilities. But it also means helping you work more efficiently so you don't get burnt out in the long run. We do try to bring the show to you commercial free, so make sure to check out our sponsors, photographersedit.com and Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. Photographers Edit is custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and Milu is the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing. Again, photographersedit.com and Milu.com. All right, let's get into today's episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're back for another Boca Podcast episode. And I'm joined today by another brand new guest uh, and somebody who's just really captured my fascination, Larry McGill. Thank you, Larry, for hanging out with the Boca Podcast community today. Yeah, thank you. The, the pleasure is all on this side of the microphone. Well, that's very kind. And and I have to return the gesture and say it's it's truly a pleasure. Not only that, um, I mean, first of all, just to be able to have a conversation, and we're going to get into an interesting topic today. But you just, your, I guess your communication style, even as we had the chance to go back and forth a little bit via email prior to our conversation today, um, is quite interesting and, and captivating even. I, I think I complimented you on your, your writing skills um, because that's not something everybody has. It's something that I've had to work really hard at myself. But not only that, you have really interesting experience in the news world as a producer, which brings us to this conversation today. So I'm, I'm excited to get into the details of that. Before we do, though, um, let me just jump to this first question, what's normally the first question here on the podcast, and that has to do with brand position or the unique value proposition that your business offers to your market. Uh, as a photographer, what is that brand position? Uh, so to to put it in a nutshell, and I'm still working on refining this, yeah. uh, but I like to say uh, Philadelphia and mainline headshots and portraits that sell your personality. Ooh, I like that. Okay. Um, there's a few too many ands in there for me, and I technically would, would like to break those up, but that's really everything in a nutshell. Well, you, you already are moving in a direction, very specific direction. Specificity is huge. Um, a lot of times photographers, if I ask them a question like this, the answer is quite lengthy. Um, and a lot of that has to do with not having taken the time to think through it, or maybe even knowing how to approach developing a, a distinct brand position. Uh, but you're already moving in that direction. And what might even be interested if you're interesting, if you're up for it at some point is we could do a whole separate episode, uh, do a brand position consultation, maybe come up with something because I think you're moving in a really great direction with that. Oh yeah. That'd be uh, most felt helpful. And even just getting to that point is just the result of being a listener to your podcast. So kudos to you for helping. Oh, wow. Well, okay. That, again, very, very generous in your words, but that, that's great. Well, well, maybe we can set that up later on and everybody listening in, you can listen for uh, that brand position consultation coming down uh, the line. But let me go ahead and jump to the next question. This has to do with customer experience. Um, and I know that, that photography is not a full-time gig for you, but with your experience as a photographer and working with various clients over time, what would you say has been one of the most important principles that you've learned about customer service? For me, it's been uh, two particular points. One is making sure that that folks feel like they know what you're doing, or you know what you're doing, rather. Ah, okay. Um, and and it sort of leads into point number two, which is making folks feel comfortable with 
not just uh, being in front of the camera, but with the process that you're going through through the whole thing. Um, so I will I will normally sort of spell things out ahead of time. Okay. And um, you know, it to to me, it's almost like and and you know, we'll we'll talk about the the whole news producer thing and and whatnot uh, a little bit later. But you know, as a as a person that writes news and uh, and puts it out to the public one of the things that we do is we try to keep things simple. Yeah. Uh, so everyone in our newsroom has a college degree, right? We spent tens of thousands of dollars to, to learn how to write all these extravagant papers and use all these <laughs> SAT words, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But they tell us when we're writing to write to like an eighth grade level. Yes. So, you know, the last 20 years of learning <laughs> kind of go out the window. You know? Isn't that funny? But it's um, so true, though, because I, if we and you and I were actually chatting about this idea before we started recording, attention spans are minimal, and, and probably no one else knows that better than yourself being in the news industry. But if we have a consumer or a potential client, regardless of the the situation um, of our content or the services that we're providing, if if we are, I guess, making it complicated for them to understand what it is that we're offering. Uh, their their attention span only lasts so long, and then they're on to the next thing. If we have to capitalize on that opportunity, and simplicity is a is a really great way to go about this. I I say this, and I've got to figure out a better phrase for this. But this is something that I talk to my I've talked to my team about endlessly over probably the last number of years, uh, and that is the idea is is to kind of dumb down the message, not dumb down in that people are not intelligent, but simplify it. I think that's probably just a better way to say it. Simplify it, and to your point. Mm-hmm. Think about somebody that's you know eighth grade level or even lower potentially, because we reality is that we can probably get the message across way simpler than than what we're trying to do you know trying to sound good or whatever it might be. Oh yeah, um, you know I don't use uh, just talking about my process, just talking to to people about how things are going. Yeah, I I don't use adjectives. Interesting. Okay. Um, that cuts down on the number of words, and that, I, that's the same thing I do in news scripts. I don't use adjectives. It's up to you to to decide ah. you know, to describe this, to the whole thing. Okay. And again, uh, something else that I do in the newsroom, I usually try to keep my sentences at uh, seven words or less. Really? And and this this is writing text for the those who are the, the hosts that are going to be on the show, or when when you talk about writing these sentences, what is the purpose of the sentences? Yeah, when I'm writing a script for the anchors that, okay. that are on the air, okay. I usually try to it even if it's not a seven word sentence, I usually try and at least keep the phrase or the idea to seven words. Wow! So you know maybe there's an ellipsis, you know a dot 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 after that. Sure. Um, but you know I I try to keep it short. Um, and, and that me that, you know, refines the, that automatically refines things. Now is the seven words metric. Is that something that's based in research or is it something you've kind of figured out over time? That was something that now, <laughs> this is something that a manager told me at okay. a news station before. Okay. Um, and to, to me, it just works for me. She didn't say where she got it from. She, she, uh, came to us from another station and she had already been sort of established as a, as a better writer. Yeah. And she, and one of the things she told me was, you know, try and keep things under seven words. Huh. And that just sort of stuck with me the whole time. Uh, so when I'm writing, you know, even, and this is not on my website yet, but even for my description on my website, most of my sentences are, are pretty short. And, um, they don't, they, you know, they, they tell you about the experience, but they don't describe it. It's up to you to describe it. 
Interesting. Okay. Huh. That, that's an interesting way of looking at it because I guess naturally I would think as a photographer, aka an artist, one of the things we would need to do is is to communicate as colorfully as possible. But you're right. The images really can speak for themselves and there's no need for us to clutter that up with a, a bunch of text. Mm-hmm. Huh. Okay. That's fascinating. I want to get back to something else you mentioned though, before I go to my next question, you, you spoke to the significance of expertise and this is not something that photographers have have mentioned at least a whole lot when it comes to how they provide a great customer experience. How do you convey that expertise to somebody that you're photographing? So inherently, most of the people that I deal with are people that I know. Okay. So they're colleagues, they're family members. Okay. So they know me as in one facet of my life, right? You know, they they know me in the newsroom. Sure. Um, and you know, they've probably seen my Instagram feed. They've probably, uh, dabbled around on my website. Some of them, some of my coworkers know that I do love photography because, uh, they use the images for their, uh, for some of their, uh, work, okay. but that's a, a whole nother side thing. So, you know, when I, when all of a sudden you, you see me outside of work or you see me, you know, sort of in my element as a family member, they, uh, you know, they, they don't know what to expect. You know, maybe the only thing that they've ever, the only photographer they've dealt with is maybe the person that took their senior yearbook photos or something like that. Hmm. Right. But when I tell them, you know, one of the first things that I do is, uh, and I picked this up actually from uh, a, a popular YouTube channel. Okay. And I've also, I've only really been doing this for the past couple of, uh, I say couple of months, the past couple of shoots that I had. Okay. Uh, I've had one in the past month just because, you know, everybody's been quarantined. I will explain to them the type of uh, poses that we'll do ahead of time. And it allows you to kind of break the ice. But it, it, but when you explain why we do these kinds of poses, hmm. it, it sort of it gives them some insight that, hey, you know, this guy knows what he's talking about. Okay. That's interesting. So you're proactively managing their expectations, which is not so ironically something that I wrote down when you were talking about developing comfortability with the clients as well. Right. I mean, you know, it, once they sort of start to see that when I tell you to do something, there's a method behind the madness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it sort of takes down that wall of, of saying, gee, does this guy know what he's doing? <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. That's interesting. Okay. But I guess management of expectations, which has cited the notion of communication, um, certainly doing so ahead of time helps them feel more comfortable, helps them understand that you know what you're doing, you know the direction you're going, and they can just be comfortable, reliant on your direction. I think that's, I think that's really great advice. Let me actually jump to the next question, though. Uh, free time. And I, you're, you're a busy guy, just to say the least. I mean, you're, you're, you've got a photography business, but then full-time news producer as well. How do you balance the business life and job and family? Is there a way that you've been able to learn to, to more effectively manage time so that you can handle all those things, but also not get overwhelmed in the meantime? Um, I've learned to say no. Mm, <laughs> and, okay. I, and I've learned to say, I can't do this. Well, yeah, it still kind of goes back to just saying no. Yeah. What do you, you know, think that I, the difficulty is? Like, why do why are people apprehensive about saying no? Is it FOMO? Is it insecurity? Is it something else? I mean, I guess for some people, it's it's insecurity. Um, you know, out, outside of saying no, I've also learned to to ask for help when I need it too. Hmm. So, you know, obviously, when you ask for help, 
some people just inherently they think that that's a bad thing you know because it it, it implies that you can't handle it yourself hmm. and for me it, it it's not always a matter of i'm not capable of doing it yeah a lot of times you know again i don't have time to do it or or it's physically impossible for me to do it and uh in my head you know my reasoning for those things has uh you know it 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 really just you know the there could be a, a ton of parameters in there, but for me, this is a 50-50 decision. I can either do it or I can't, and that's all there is to it. Hmm. Um, and the and the psychology behind saying no or, or asking for help for me is just gone. It's it's more of an empirical thing than an emotional thing. Ah, <laughs> yeah, well, we get our emotions tied up. And I mean, Wow, I'm I'm guilty of this million times over. You let your emotions get into the mix. Um, when it comes to making you know intelligent decisions, when it, you know practical decisions for our, our business, certainly time management, uh, that really can kind of confuse the situation. So that's a great point too. Um, and and I like the simplicity of of understanding what you can and can't handle. And to your point, setting aside any potential insecurities and being okay with asking somebody else for help. This isn't, it's almost like we have some kind of contest going, or we, we've assumed that there's some kind of contest going on where we have to prove that we can do all this stuff ourselves and it somehow makes us a better artist. And I think that's just, those, those are misnomers in the end. And it ultimately hurts us if we're trying to do it all ourselves. We get burnt out. Maybe you can't even provide the, the same level of service as a result. Um, it, it really is a I guess a detractor from our business. So I, I like that you highlight this this principle. Speaking of time management too, though, again, running your, your photography business part time, have you experimented with, shall we say, delegation or outsourcing in your business so far? And if so, what's your experience been? Um, right now, the only thing I have delegated out is my social media and really specifically Instagram. Okay. Um, so I've got my personal Instagram page, but only and really because I'm only just in the past maybe month or two really sort of turning the corner on on really putting the afterburners on trying to turn this into a business. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of my stuff is still just sort of in its infancy. So like my website is still the one that I said I use uh, SmugMug as a uh, as a platform. So it's still sort of a repository of my work versus you know, something that's actively trying to sell you on something. Hmm. So the Instagram, you have my personal Instagram, but I also have now a business Instagram and someone else handles that. I don't even have the login information. For <laughs> that's brilliant. What's the, what's the Instagram handle, by the way? Because I want to take a look at it, too. Oh, uh, so my personal Instagram, I, well, you, you've uh, seen that one. It's Mediate Savant. Yeah, which I had um, to ask you about because it's, it's a fascinating name. Where's that the handle come from? It's kind of like it's. You know, they used to, to refer to people that had a very uh, a great skill at, at one thing, but were not particularly that, that may have had some kind of mental deficiency. Deficiency. They would call them an, an idiot savant, which now is not a particularly proper term for those kind of sure. People. But I work in the media, and I don't always consider myself that bright. So that's kind of <laughs> where that name came from. Interesting, because of your focus and your intense focus on producing or production in the news world. Uh, not just well, not just um, production, but you know, a lot of people will ask me for for video things. They'll ask me for graphics things. Okay, so it's not just uh, you know, just before the pandemic hit, I actually did 
uh, a set of wedding invitations and um, and save the dates for a couple. Well, your your skill set is quite wide ranging. That's that's interesting. Yeah, so that's that's why I I use the the whole media term, not necessarily because I'm a member of the media, but because you know I I just on the side I do kind of all these these other things that are not specifically photography. Got it. Okay, and then what's your business Instagram? So the business is uh, Larry underscore McGill underscore shoots. Okay. I'm actually typing this in and taking a look here. And by the way, for everybody listening in, uh, Larry's website is obsidianphoto.com. So you can check that out. Of course, we'll link to that in the show notes as well. And um, But I'm, I'm taking a look here through the feed and there's, there's it's really quite a variety. I mean, everything from looks like portraits to, as you mentioned earlier, we've got headshots, headshot, we've got family images. There's quite a wide range. Is there something ultimately, I mean, are you going to focus, as you mentioned earlier, on headshots in the long run or, or are you still experimenting with it all? Uh, I really want sort of more headshots and sort of, I'll, I'll say, established families. Okay. Um, so, like I said, I a relative of mine is actually handling that, and that's just because you know I had been dragging my feet about really doing this as an as a you know uh, a business business, hmm. <laughs> and so she said, "Look, you at least need to have. I, I know you've got your website and all that. You at least need to get your 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 Instagram uh, Instagram presence up." Uh, uh, and you and you can't have all these personal pictures. I know the the going thing is you know you don't really post a whole lot of personal pictures to your to your business account. So she said, "I'll handle it." And so she set it up. Uh, I, I think it's been a few weeks now. Yeah, and she's posted a few pictures in there too. Yeah, and she's been she's been trying to post something every day and just kind of you know put a caption in there that says, "Hey, I like doing this." Um, I have had to to let her know that you know I'm not doing everything. I, I don't want, you know, I, I don't plan on doing a whole lot of engagement shoots. I, I would like to do couples, but not necessarily engagements. Because, you know, a lot of people, uh, when they're doing engagement shoots, they'll they'll get the same photographer to do, you know, engagement, bridal, and wedding. Sure. And so for me, I that's just not, it's not a, um, you know, a part of the industry that I want to be in. Uh, but, you know, couples that are already established, family portraits and stuff like that. I, I don't mind that as much as, uh, and, and, you know, obviously headshots. Got it. Um, yeah. Well, well, we'll actually link to all these accounts actually. And, and your website in the show notes, bocapodcast.com for everybody listening in, you can go and see the show notes there, or potentially look at the show notes and your favorite podcast app. I know I, my experience in the past, looking at podcast apps, the show notes aren't necessarily always formatted well for, for whatever reason, but uh, at the very least, bookapodcast.com for everybody listening in. You can see the resources that we mentioned today, the talking points. And to that point, actually, speaking of resources, Larry, talk to me about a favorite self-help book or business book that you've read or listened to in the last few years that's made a really big impact. Uh, the main one that has really sort of changed the way I think about business and doing business is, uh, and really finance altogether is a, a fairly old book called The Millionaire Next Door. I've heard of it, yeah. And so it it completely changed the way that I think about people, especially you know when you when you look at photography, it's supposed to be you know a, a business. I mean, a, a luxury kind of business, right? Because mm. anybody can take a picture on their iPhone and it'll be great. What are they hiring you for? Because it's it's a luxury thing. Interesting. Yeah, I, I wonder if a lot of photographers even think about it that way. The ones that are specifically charging higher price points, maybe more so. 
Um, but it's interesting to, to your point, especially in 2020, that there is a distinction between what can be really beautiful images on, on an iPhone and then actually paying somebody money to do that for you. Right. So, um, you know, the millionaire next door and the edition that I have slash red and you know there's there's been multiple editions that have come out since the original um at the time you know it said like the average millionaire doesn't drive all these fancy cars they boiled it down to two vehicles a jeep grand cherokee and a ford explorer (laughs) right you you would normally think it was something like a mercedes or something like that instead you would expect you would expect the luxury right you know, it, it changed the way that I that I thought about people who actually have means to pay for the product. Hmm. Would you like Would you like to get the people that can afford to buy a Ferrari? Yeah, yeah, but you also can't always. To your point, you can't always assume or project on the situation. You don't you don't know what you don't necessarily know what's going on behind the scenes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so so even and you know again that even affects the way that I that I write the news. Huh. You know, we we in New Jersey they had what they called a what they were calling a millionaire's tax and and that tax was on people that earned or the proposed tax is on people that earn a million dollars a year well your average millionaire does not earn a million dollars a year hmm. so it's technically a false you know it's a misnomer yeah yeah false premise so you know you had that that name in and of itself implies that you know, it's a tax on all millionaires. And again, there are there's teachers that are millionaires that, you know, they've just managed to save up over decades of working. Yeah. It, and they it, just have it. I was looking at numbers actually related to this the other day, and it was staggering the number of millionaires there are in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating. Well, nonetheless, to your point, and this is this is a really great lesson, actually, to take away from this this point of conversation, which is we really can't assume that the person in front of us can't afford to purchase a print or pay for this service or add on a bonus or premium service or whatever it might be. Um, it, we, we, because it's so easy to assume that. Uh, and I think a lot of photographers, myself included, are apprehensive being, becoming salespeople, largely based on the assumptions that, that we're making in that process. We, we have to set those aside and, and focus on doing our job. But let me actually go ahead and speaking of doing a job, let me, let me jump to our primary um, points of conversation today, which is really just to kind of get your experience as a news producer and the lessons that you've learned, which you, you told me ahead of time, you, f- you feel like you've been able to apply to your photography business. I thought this might be kind of an interesting conversation to have. You're a news producer for NBC Universal, and I'd love for you to just let our listeners in a little bit of what you were telling me about currently actually doing that work remotely versus being right there in the studio in a newsroom. Yeah, so uh, let me point out that you know I I'm a producer for for NBC, but that's because I work for NBC Universal. So I, I work at an NBC affiliate in in uh, Philadelphia. How does that differ from anybody else? Uh, well, because your average affiliate, your average station that you see. So, for instance, in Chattanooga, your NBC affiliate is not owned by NBC. Got it. It just happens to have, you know, the, that's the programming that it has. That's the uh, the news service that it uses. Um, so what makes our station particularly different is that we're owned directly by NBC Universal. Okay. And and normally that's kind of reserved for stations that are in major markets. So we're talking, you know, New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, 
uh, Philadelphia is market number four, Washington, D.C., places like that, generally the affiliates are owned by the network to which they affiliate with. Okay. So because it's it's in such a, a major market and because we're owned directly by NBC, uh, to me anyway, it, it gives us access to a whole lot more things that your average affiliate doesn't necessarily get. And is that what's enabled you then to be able to effectively work from from home? Because I, when you were community, you were telling me about this. I, I was I was kind of surprised that the that you would have. I mean, I guess I I, I should assume again in twenty twenty the technology that we have this is definitely a feasible thing. But to actually produce a live news show remotely was just a kind of a fascinating concept to me. Yeah. So you know we we normally would work in a newsroom, and that newsroom and that control room is meant to put on a newscast, right? It, everything in there is is optimized so that we get information in and we can get information out over the air. And and working from home means that a lot of that is not there or or not physically there anyway. Sure. Has have things, you know, could can I effectively kind of do the job from home? Yeah. Um but it's 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 kind of like having a process or having a factory that's that's meant meant to build something um you know everything is in its place everything is optim is is optimally placed for you to do what you do and and that inherently is just kind of different here at at, at the house <laughs> yeah needless to say but i bet it's been an interesting challenge it is you know there's there's a few inherent challenges just you know i I technically log into a computer that is in the building, so I'm right. not I'm not specifically doing work. And, and most people, I think, are sort of remotely logging in. If they're working from home, they're remotely logging in to to whatever workspace that they're using. That makes sense. Okay, cool. Well, I, I mean, I just the way that you, I mean, and you described in quite a bit of detail actually via email what you were doing, and it was just it's kind of an amazing thing to me that, that that was all happening remotely. I guess it makes a little bit more sense if you're able to log into the system remotely there and kind of run it and manage it through that system, which is there on site. I, I, that makes a little bit more sense. But um, I, I want to get to some of these lessons that you pointed out to me that you've learned as a news producer, which have been relevant as well to your photography business for everybody listening in, um, also relevant for them. And the first thing that you mentioned, and I'm sure many of our listeners can imagine that this would be a, a lesson you'd learn as a news producer where it's just go, go, go. It seems like 100 miles an hour all the time. Uh, it's the idea of staying cool under pressure. Can you give an example of what this looks like day to day with uh, your news affiliate, but then also share how you've implemented that principle in your photography business as a result? Yeah, so just kind of as a as a basic thing, just to give people an, an overall idea of of why this is this ends up being a uh, such a big deal. You know, as a producer, a lot of us will get together in the morning. There's usually about um, for any given day part, there may be three, four, or five producers that put together each you know hour or half hour of news. We'll get together. We'll decide what goes in the newscast. And um, and we'll start working on you, – you may have heard of it called a rundown. So we'll select what goes in the newscast. We'll, uh, we'll set what the reporters are supposed to do for any given day. Sure. And then we'll get to work on writing and building this, this great masterpiece that we call a daily newscast. Okay. Well, all of a sudden something happens, what we would call breaking news – and you know that that throws a, a monkey wrench into everything because all the planning that we've done, you know, starting at at nine o'clock that morning, sometimes eight o'clock, all the planning that we've done for that day can go 
out the window and, and really good producers kind of thrive in that environment. Yeah. Um, I, I only over the past couple of years have really gotten to where I enjoy breaking news, but uh, you know, that, that rundown has supposed to has been the thing that we've ber- been working on crafting and planning all day. And all of a sudden breaking news can change that. So say um, I'll try not to use a particularly violent instance, but uh, everybody has seen these, these, protests that have been going on historically yeah. uh, across the United States, right? Yeah. So for any given weekend, the news is usually kind of boring. It's it you know, it's it's a set kind of thing. All of a sudden in Philadelphia, we had major protests. Hmm. You know, we we had thousands of people that were packed into downtown Philadelphia. We call it center city. Yeah. That required a whole lot of people in, in particular, you know, on a, on a weekend, there's already just not a whole lot of people in the newsroom, but that required a whole lot of people to pivot from, you know, what should have been a nice relaxing swim through the news that day, you know, what's going on over the weekend, whatever there clearly wasn't any kind of festival going on because everybody's quarantined. Yeah. But all of a sudden you have to pivot and nothing is, what you planned for it to be because the protests are going on, you know, in multiple parts of the city. Right. Uh, For us, all of a sudden we had burning police cars Mm. and, and ultimately before the end of the night, you had criminals that, that decided to use the opportunity to commit crimes and, and start looting places. So you immediately sort of have to figure out where to go from there on the fly because you don't have time to plan for it. It's it's sort of a similar thing with weather, with hurricanes, with snow. You have to adapt on the spot. Right. Because all of a sudden things and, and even with the coronavirus, things were literally changing from you know, starting in in March in particular, you know, when when everything started um, you know, everybody started shutting things down. They're 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 stopping sports. They're they're shutting all this stuff down, and things are literally changing minute to minute. You don't have time to plan things out. You got to be flexible, and the people that are watching you, you know, you the the goal is to make it seem seamless, right? You don't know what the chaos is going on in, in the back of the newsroom. <laughs> right. But on the TV screen, you see an anchor that's, that's, that's giving you information. You see video and you see reporters out doing their thing. So, you know, again, all that stuff can change the entire plan that you had set out for hours and hours upon end wow. um, for the day. And all of a sudden, you still have to get a newscast on the air, but you still need to keep people, you know, up to date. You need to keep people safe. Right. Uh, you need to hold people accountable. And I can imagine that the worst thing to do in that particular situation, or one of the worst things to do, would be to literally or figuratively, internally or externally, freak out, right? I mean, I know right. that, and again, from personal experience, but but I know that others as well, in a stressful situation, if they're used to being you know, they're living in their safe little box and then something suddenly yanks them out of that box and they're in this this space that they're uncomfortable with, the natural reaction is to freak out. And it, the, the, to our earlier conversation, the moment we get emotional about something, and particularly in a situation like that, um, it, it, it inhibits our ability to be able to effectively manage that situation. And so the last thing we need to do is to freak out. The best thing that we can do is, and I'm thinking about the um, uh, the Bruce Lee quote, you know, be like water, that idea of kind of going with the flow 
uh, that seems to be the best option, right? I mean, how do you, is that how you're responding in the moment? It's just like, okay, we're going to pivot and, and move this other direction rather than being pissed off that, that all that work you put in right. is now screwed up. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's it. Exactly. That, that's his philosophy. That particular philosophy is something that, um, that, you know, I sort of keep in the back of my head hmm. and, um, and also, you've heard of the serenity prayer before, correct? Yes. Uh huh. You need to know the difference between the things that you can and can't change, and you need to have the peace of mind to, or the wisdom to know the difference, right? Exactly. <laughs> and, and to deal with it. Yeah, that sums it and up wonderfully. It, and so, one of the things that that you kind of have to do is know what you can and can't change. You need to know what your elements are, and you need to move on, and understand that it's it's not always there's not always a fault. It's not always, you know, you, you don't always have to blame somebody for something. You can you can move on to the next thing. So it, it's kind of a matter of, of understanding what that is. And for me, that that allows you to really have sort of a reset when chaos erupts. How does that then translate to, and how has this translated in general, the, the, the lessons that you've learned about the significance of staying cool under pressure with going with the flow How's that applied to your interaction with clients and being a photographer? So at this point, I have not had any kind of a a major sort of malfunction. <laughs> okay. That at least in my head that that warrants me to flip clean out, right? Okay. And and part of that is just because I I, I got into photography after I be, after I got into news. So really after a breaking news day where my rundown has gone out the window, you know, anything that photography throws at me is just kind of whatever. <laughs> yeah. I bet. Um, I, yeah. It probably doesn't feel like a whole lot of stress at all, but it also boils down to, and it's the same thing with news. So I, I don't deal with it so much because I, um, in, in the newsroom now I'm doing mostly writing behind the scenes and not always actively putting to, or not actively, you know, in the booth with a newscast, but things like uh, I'll, I'll, I'll use a small instance, you know, knowing what to do if say a light breaks or something like that. Right. Uh, for me, I always have a backup plan. I I've got, mm. gosh, I got uh, just mononites. I got like seven or eight of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I always carry a backup with me. But, you know, even if the, even if my lights break down on me, particularly if I'm on an outdoor shoot, if something happens, I'm not going to let the client know that something is wrong. Right. Uh, because I, I will still get an image that I want based on what's there. Just the, the, the last photo shoot that I did just a few weeks ago, um, the wind caught a modifier that I had set up uh, a little bit more than I anticipated it to. My my 65-inch umbrella snapped. Whoa, okay. Uh, nothing I can do about that once it's broken, right? Yeah. You can't, it, it's, it's, it's not, you know, I've, I've seen some repairs for it or whatever. Um, but for this, in this particular instance, there's nothing I can do about it once it's snapped. But I also had other modifiers on hand, and I still knew how to get the light that I was looking for without having that specific umbrella. Yep. Well, I think having um, a plan ahead of time makes a big difference, having backups to your point. I think the other thing that can make a really exactly. big difference, too, especially in enabling us to go with the flow and, and you know flex and, and pivot as, as needed, is repetition and practicing. Um, I, I can think back even to 
as a wedding photographer, I shot Nikon and, and the camera still to this day, if I were to pick up one of those cameras, I, I, there would be some, some muscle memory left to, you know, where exactly my finger goes on that camera, where I reach to make it to change a setting or to do this thing or that, because I'd done it so many times over and over and over again, that repetition enables familiarity, which enables comfort in a situation where, you know, I'm faced with a situation that, that isn't the norm. And I think it's really important that, that we take the time to practice. I've been, I've been learning how to, to day trade in the marketplace. And and one of the, the significant lessons that I unfortunately learned the hard way was that I need to put time in and get tons and tons and tons of repetition just over and over and over again working with a particular ETFs that I trade. And that enables a certain familiarity with the patterns, with the rhythm, the way that that, that ETF or that stock moves, uh, which then enables me when it comes to crunch time, when I'm actually trying to make some money, um, it enables me to be able to do so more effectively and not be so nervous and freaked out uh, as a result of uh, you know a lack of practice. Repetition is so, so important. So I want to encourage our listeners to, especially during right now, during COVID, dealing with the, the, um, the results, unfortunate results in many cases of COVID, that we capitalize on the time that we have to practice, to develop a plan B, C, and D, like Larry is talking about, and, and also... Um, to get that repetition in through the practice that enables us to have familiarity, enables us to be able to work through challenging situations. But I, I, there are a few other points that you shared with me, Larry, and I want to get to the next one. And, and to our conversation earlier, routine makes us feel comfortable, but we're not always going to have routine. We're not always going to get to stay in that comfortable little box that, that you know, we're so used to. How do we learn to, or how do you learn uh, to adapt uh, as a producer? And how's that translated to your photography business? I think that that's a, another thing that goes back to to routine and sort of on the on the same branch I'll call it um, is is technique. So obviously you refine your technique through routine, right? So the more I got used to handling breaking news, the more something happened. Sometimes something happens when you're in the middle of a newscast, mm. and you have to get it in, and you have to be accurate, and it has to look fairly decent on the air. Uh, you know, you still want to tell a compelling story. The more I got used to doing it, uh, the better I got at it. And and really, oddly enough, particularly when I was doing when I was actually producing more entire newscasts and not just stories, you know, that my threshold for just kind of throwing the rundown out the window <laughs> was was very low. Uh, yeah. It didn't. T- it did not. T- and, and and I don't mean to say that as you know, a whole lot of news organizations will will call everything breaking news. But when something happened, I was more likely to try and and get it on on the air and and be more aggressive about it. Hmm. And just kind of and and almost kind of shoot from the hip in the situation instead of worrying about breaking my precious rundown. <laughs> um, yeah, we get we get really protective about our comfort zones, don't we? Right. So when you you know just going out to a a photo shoot, you know, a lot of times you've already talked with with the client, you've already kind of figured out how you want things to look. You know, you've come up with this great setup, but again, you know. Just like a, a few weeks ago now when uh, my umbrella snapped, I didn't freak out about it. It, it sucked that, that you know, I, I, uh, I can't use that umbrella. You know, I told him, hey, I need to run back to my car uh, and, and get another modifier and I'll be right back. 
and and that was that they may or may not even know that that thing is gone yep <laughs> you know that yeah. that i can't use it anymore <laughs> uh but it doesn't matter because i still had something else that i could that i could quickly run back and get or or really you know i knew what i had in my toolbox uh just from technique and from equipment i could go back and get something else and still get the light that i wanted yep it's so important and it seems it sounds so basic but it's a really really important principle when it comes to being able to consistently deliver for our clients to deliver the service despite whatever situation might might pop up you're right it does kind of follow what we were talking about earlier the significance of staying cool under pressure how to do so um, we need to learn to adapt and, and a lot of that does come from both an understanding of our equipment um, having the techniques or the skill set rather that enables us to to be a good photographer regardless of the situation, and then repetition that practice makes a really really big difference. Um, and and this is still kind of relevant. But the next point that you mentioned to me was details, the significance of details. Uh, I I know that I'm not necessarily the best detail oriented individual. I tend to kind of think big picture. Part of that's probably just laziness on my part because I don't want to deal with the details. Um, I've realized that I need to improve in that. I've been working on that, but. When it comes to details, certainly as a news producer, but then as a photographer, we have to pay attention to them. What is, how have you learned this lesson as a producer and how's it translated to your business? So, you know, when, you, when you're looking at, at writing a news story, you, you know, the, the key thing that at, on a basic level, right, you want to be fair and you want to be accurate. In the media, just in general, there are always things that are out there trying to get you. You know, whenever you get a press release from somebody, that press release is always trying to to tell their side of the story. Hmm. And a lot of times you have to look through the details of what what's going on, you know, the minutia uh, to really be able to boil it down for people to, to tell the story correctly. Yeah. Um. So, you know, it, it's, it's basic things like being able to, to relate numbers. So, for instance, today, the, uh, the unemployment, we're, we're speaking on a Thursday, the latest unemployment report just came out. Yes. Now, do the, does the average person care about all the minute numbers uh, that, that came out? Um, not always. Yeah. But you still need to let people know that there are a lot of people that are out of work. And that, and and you still need to sort of let people know where things stand with unemployment overall, right? So we got, um, you know, uh, I'll, I'll give you a quick rundown of the numbers that that I got just in a general. I didn't even look at the, uh, the, I didn't get to see the detailed report. I'm looking at what NBC relayed to me. Okay, and that was uh, 1.3 million people applied for unemployment right. last week right uh now that was 1.3 xxxx right going on the number just the week before was still 1.3 million it was only off by 10,000 people hmm. nobody cares about all those extra you know the average person is watching the news doesn't care about all those extra digits um so, you know, you, you still want to let them know, hey, this many people applied for unemployment. Uh, that's only a little bit – it's only a little bit higher than the few – than the number that was there last week. Now, some people are going to take that script that NBC sent them and, and copy and paste it right into their, their script and go on about their business. Um, and the average viewer is going to be like, what? You just rattled off, uh, you know, seven digits to me. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it doesn't make a difference. So a, it's being you know some being able to a pay attention to the details and boil it down for somebody to to even more simpler terms sort of helps with photography. But then it's other things like, for instance, uh, a, a lot of times, particularly in smaller markets, you'll see a whole lot of misspellings in in what we call supers, which are the graphics that you see on the air. Okay, you know, you, you have to be cognizant enough to go back and double and triple check those things and understand that sometimes when you look at it three different times you know sometimes it all runs together and and you don't realize that you've made a mistake um so you you've got to be able to sit back and kind of look at it fresh every time to make sure that you that you didn't miss something yeah that's huge especially for photographers who have a lot of details to keep up with right um, through an event or wedding or, or or that type of thing just and, and just for me on a basic level with photography, things like, you know, A, being able to boil down all these 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 fine details of what I'm doing. You know, I'm I'm looking at this kind of light, I'm fixing this particular uh setting on a camera or something like that, if something doesn't look right to me. You know, those particular details when I first got started in this, I would kind of go out and and for instance, my ISO would be way too high. I I'd be shooting at like now, I have a, a D seventy one hundred and D seventy two hundred, and and so I was shooting at like ISO two thousand, and and my consistency was off. I would I would change the ISO all over the place. I would change my 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 aperture was not set for the way that I wanted it to look, mm. and so and and it would be something that you know I didn't necessarily mean to do it would be it would be the aperture is set some way because that was the last last time I that was the way I set it the last time on my camera and didn't bother to look so now all of a sudden these unfortunately most of those images that that I took were not for clients or or for pay or people that were paying um but you know understanding that that I need to look at all these things before I even click the shutter yeah for the for the first thing yeah um knowing that you know for uh for a female that's wearing a necklace, I've got to check to make sure that the necklace is, is straight because a lot of times if you're moving around and doing all these kinds of things, the necklace will move. Sure. Um, it's, a, it's a certain thing in the, in the way someone is posed. Um, and again, it, it still kind of goes back to, to knowing that technique, that knowing that, yes, I understand that this is uncomfortable to you. But because you're not, because you know you don't have your hip turned in this particular direction, this curve on your body is not looking right. So it's it's knowing to look for all those those small things, and being able to see it um, kind of on the spot. And again, it it goes back to what we were just talking about: repetition and and technique. The more you do those things, the stronger your technique becomes and the quicker you are are about being able to look at all those details and assess all of them. Yeah, having even a an internal checklist that, that you know, maybe ahead of time, I'm such a geek. I, I, I use Evernote endlessly, just thousands of documents. And um, I, I mentioned learning how to day trade earlier. And one of the things that I've done is to create, is to write out a strategy for trading in, in the marketplace and, and particularly with these, these uh, funds and having that as a point of reference enables me. If, if I go through that list ahead of time enough, then it, it kind of solidifies itself in my head so that when I go to do the thing, in this case, trading, 
I have a point of reference or points of reference um, from which to work. And that enables me to pay attention to the details that matter so, so much. And, and I think this is applicable, very applicable to photographers as well, because, you know, despite how great technology is these days, there's still a chance that we can have the wrong setting on our camera and that that could mess up potentially a shoot, but at the very least, maybe an image or two, we miss out on an opportunity to be able to deliver that to the client. Uh, if we don't know the details, the schedule of a, an event, for example, not being present to capture the important images. I mean, the list can go on here, but making yeah. sure that we've got an established list that we can play off of consistently, what details to be paying attention to, to, to look out for, I think it would be a really, really great reminder for, for all of our listeners, especially those who are newer photographers. I think it's a really important principle. But let me get to the next or, and, and last question, actually, which has to do um, with being able to relate to people. And you alluded to this, the significance of this idea earlier when you talked about customer experience. Um, if I, if I'm trying to be a, even a halfway decent human being and create good conversation with anyone that I'm having a conversation with Larry, for example, you and I are having a conversation and I know that you're a father and that immediately is something that you and I can relate on. It would be natural for me then to go in conversation to that talking point when we could probably talk endlessly on that topic, it would enable us to connect because it's something that we can relate on. Um, what does this look like in the news world and how is that ultimately translated for you in your photography business, this ability to be able to relate to those in front of you? So for me in particular, it, uh, it, a lot of it boils down to getting out there and getting to know people, which means that I, I go out of my way to sort of create diverse relationships and and remember diversity is is part of the whole reason we even started talking in the first place right yeah um you know but before we even started this conversation today pardon me one of the things that that i told you is that you know i i had stopped listening to a lot of podcasts uh, and really photography podcasts altogether because i wasn't hearing uh the diversity that are, are seeing the diversity um in personnel that I wanted to say, you know, people that are listening on the podcast may not know, but you know, I, I'm a black man. So, uh, you know, I, most of the people that you see in, in photography are, especially the, the talking heads yeah. are white people. Sure. Um, and one of the reasons that I reached out to you just to say, you know, thank you for, for, um, for adding more diverse voices to your, your podcast was, was right at that alley. And and when I went back to listening to those podcasts, I could see that well before this conversation was even going on, right? So before all the, the, the talk about social injustice and all that was going on, you had already made the move to try and be more diverse on the podcast. And, and that goes back to the newsroom to where you need to have a diverse number, a, a, a diverse set of people to tell the stories. Yeah, yeah. Um, for me, and I learned very quickly, I'm one of the few, you, you see, you know, you'll, you'll see black men in front of the camera, right? But those reporters are not always choosing their stories. Those anchors are not always choosing their stories. Sometimes mm. they're not even writing the stories. Mm. They'll go through and check the script, but they may not have written the initial story. Okay. In the newsroom, I, in, not in my particular newsroom, but when I say newsroom, I mean it you know, more generally sure. on the back end, on the editorial end, the people that are making the decisions, 
I'm one of the few black male producers in news, period. Wow. <laughs> there, there's not but so many. That's not to say that there's, there's you know, not any more besides myself. Sure. But there's only a few. Um, my news director, who happens to be a, a black man, is one of the few black male news producers, I mean, news directors in the industry. Wow. Um, so when it comes to framing stories, when it comes to to understanding the way this affects more than just the, the mainstream people, uh, you need to have those diverse relationships. And being able to have diverse relationships means that I can relate to more people whenever I'm taking pictures. Um, you know, for there, there's a whole lot of times where uh, our stories are not necessarily in the neighborhoods where we live. Yeah. You know, I, we, in, in Philadelphia, we get paid pretty decent as journalists. So when crime happens in a, uh, you know, in a black community, in a poor community, something like that, if you don't have those relationships set up, if you're not actively going out and seeking to make those relationships mm. ahead of time, yeah. the only thing that the people see when you show up is somebody that's trying? Is, is somebody that's trying? That's just trying to highlight violence because it's there, right? Versus somebody who actually cares about how this is affecting you. And when somebody shows up and needs a headshot or something like that, and you can relate to them, you know, it it, it makes it easier for you to put yourself in their shoes. You know, I have no trouble understanding that people are uncomfortable in front of the camera. Yeah. And and this is particularly because um of of dealing with uh and specifically even my colleagues. So my colleagues that are in the news that are used to being in public, a lot of them when you point a steel camera at them, they clam up. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people would. I probably even would to an extent. You know, I I had one colleague who is is uh very dark skinned. And in the newsroom, we have to blast light at them. They, yeah. You know, you, you have to throw light at them because there's no light in the room. It's a dark space. There's no window. You have to create all the light. Right. So when uh, when he asked me to take his engagement portraits, he always assumed I need to be out in the sunlight. And and while that night might not necessarily create a bad picture if you know what you were doing, for the most part, I said, hey, you don't need to be in the direct light. I need you to stand over here. And will still create a great picture, <laughs> but you know, again, understanding and having that uh, that sort of you know diverse set of people that I'm taking pictures of uh, allows me to relate to more people and really get a better image out of the whole deal. Because you're not just taking pictures of the person; you want to capture an actual, you know, reaction, right? Yeah, I, and I think, you know, as I'm hearing you talk, I'm, I'm thinking about two words, which um, one of which we've mentioned already, the projection, like we're projecting onto a situation. We're also assuming, we're making assumptions. And, and honestly, I, I think a lot of what's at the root of, of racism here and abroad is assumption and projection. And that gets in the way of our ability to be able to connect with somebody, sure, who might be different from us in one way or another, but it's the assumptions that we make that get in the way of that wonderful opportunity. So very, I mean, at a very simple level, 
we need to keep an open mind. We need to set aside the projections and the assumptions and look for opportunities to relate, look for commonalities over which we can connect. And that will enable a connection, whether it's personally or professionally. Exactly. And, and, and there were, you know, there's been times that I have, uh, particularly with the older generation. So, so, uh, folks back at my home. So I grew up in rural North Carolina. You know, there there are a whole lot of folks that I've taken pictures of uh, in the older generation that can't always relate to someone who who comes from out of town to come and take their picture, mm, right? Mm-hmm. If if they ever encountered that person, you know, may again, a lot of times the only person they've ever had a picture with is somebody who came to take their uh, their uh, senior picture at some point. But you know, <laughs> being able to to relate to those people is key to getting a really good picture. Yeah. Some of the first ones that I took were of um uh uh for lack of a better term, old ladies in church hats. Okay. Uh if you've ever seen the book Crowns, um which that's that's exactly his his uh his description on the book. It's it's old black ladies in church hats. Really? No, I don't think I've heard uh, of this. Is it's a book? Oh yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful book. If you have not seen that book, oh wow, okay, um, you know, go go check it out. It, it's it's uh, I think it's easily been out for for ten years now. Uh, my church wanted to do a similar thing back at home, and that was where I learned very quickly that that you know, again, a lot of the older generation, it's it, it can be tough to try and and relate to them if they're not seeing, if they're not used to a seeing you, yeah, and b having a camera pointed at them. Sure. Because they always want to give you the, you know, people again are used to having that person just say smile and I'll take your picture. <laughs> yep. But when it became a conversation, when it became a relationship and the camera disappeared mm. outside of the, outside of the, co- you know, yeah. you, your shutter speed is, you know, <laughs> less than a second, right? So when you're only putting your face up to the, when you're only putting the camera up to your face for less than a second, because the rest of the time is a conversation. Yes. And you're able to relate with those people. I got some of the, the, the best images I think I've still taken, even though, you know, again, my settings may have been off. Uh, the light wasn't great because we were inside of a church and I was too scared to learn how to use flash at the time. Yeah. Uh, I still came away with, with some really great pictures. But man, you, you summed it up so brilliantly when it became a conversation, when it became a relationship. And, and again, this is if, if we all just adhered to those words and those ideas, what it would do for us, not just as photographers and our ability to be able to connect with our clients, the, the people in front of our cameras, but to everyone around us. If our focus was on d- developing a, a conversation which can lead to a relationship, we'd be in so much a better place. I think that is, I, that is like the highlight of this conversation, the way that you summed it up. I think it's brilliant. By the way, for everybody listening in too, we'll link to that, that book, Crowns. I pulled it up here on Amazon as, um, as we were chatting. Crowns, Portraits of Black Women in Church Hats. I mean, just the, the couple of images that it shows in the summary are just brilliant. They're beautiful, beautiful work. So we'll link to that in the show notes for anybody who's curious. Um, you can check that out as well. But Larry, I, I really appreciate you making time to to share your perspective, your experience um, with our listeners. And I know for our listeners, it's it's certainly not the norm that we would have a news producer on the show. But I, I thought it was kind of interesting to explore the the connections between your experience as a news producer and a photographer. And I think there's some really important lessons here that we've discussed today. Thank you so much for making time for all of us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And and if there's just 
just one extra thing that I could point out. Yeah. It's that, you know, um, I, I know there's a whole lot of sort of pointed animosity at the, at the media right now. Right. Hmm. They, they call us the, the, you know, boat people on both the left and the right side of the conversation, uh, just kind of call us, you know, the monolithic media, <laughs> right? but understand that, you know, your, your local TV stations, your local newspapers for the most part are not, uh, out here just to support you know talking points mm. we're, we're not the same as what you see on cable news so when i say cable news i mean msnbc sure um you know fox news cnn uh where there's a whole lot of editorializing that goes on yeah you know we're we're trying to keep you informed we're trying to keep you safe and we're trying to hold the powerful accountable and that does not lean either way exactly uh, that and that's beautifully summed up. Yeah, and, and to our earlier conversation again, we can't just assume there are and and project there are individuals behind um, what we're seeing in the news. We have to keep that in mind. Again, I really appreciate your perspective, Larry. One more time for our listeners, will you just remind them where they can follow you online and 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 hopefully cheer you on as your business continues to develop as well? Oh yes, indeed. Uh, my website is obsidianphoto.com. dot com, and um, again, it's obsidian like the rock. Yeah. Um, and you know, again, it, it, right now it's not particularly set up to sell anything. Most of the time, if I if I get any business, it's just kind of word of mouth. Um, but it's got a sort of a repository of, of. As a matter of fact, I used to have uh, structures and stuff on there, and buildings and landscapes, and I took all that down just to put portraiture up there. Yeah, I like um, it. You're beginning so, to refine that brand. That's that's good. We're gonna have to do that that brand consultation too. Everybody, make sure you go check out Larry's work there on his website, and then of course also. Uh, Larry McGill shoots. We'll link to that in the show notes as well as Instagram account. Thanks again for making time for all of us today. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Like I said, the, the pleasure is all on uh, this side of the microphone. <laughs> Thanks so much photographers for listening to the Boca podcast. Will you let us know what you thought of the show by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is Nathan at bocapodcast.com. We do try to bring this show to you commercial free, so make sure to check out our sponsors, photographersedit.com and milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. Photographers Edit is custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and Milu is the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing.